Today's episode of Latino in Chicago is brought to you by UBAC. Learn more about supporting Chicago's nonprofit community at this year's Giving Tuesday celebration on November 29th. Visit ubacforgood.com. That's letter U B A C K F O R G O O D.com for more information. Hello. Thanks for tuning in to Latino in Chicago. This is your host, Eric Lugo. I do apologize for the slight delay in posting this new episode, but we are back with another great and timely conversation. Today we catch up with Michelle Morales, Executive Director of the Make the Challenge, a youth-serving organization that is challenging the status quo and helping young people develop into informed, empowered, active citizens, and community leaders. Michelle became the executive director of MICVA about a year and a half ago and offers some great reflection on her transition into the role. In this episode, we also hear about MICVA's efforts to demystify civic and political engagement as well as activate youth voice and community change. Michelle shares what inspires her about youth work and how MICVA is breaking down barriers that allow youth to flourish. We also dig into some interesting reflections on how she's evolving her leadership and management style along with her perceptions of gender dynamics in leadership roles. I hope you enjoy, and without further ado, here's Michelle. Hey Michelle, thanks for joining us on Latino in Chicago. Thank you, I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. So why don't we start by talking about Make the Challenge. Tell us about the organization. Sure. Mikvah Challenge has been around for 18 years now. Uh, we're an organization that was ap- actually founded by the late uh, Abner Mikvah, who uh, was a judge. Uh, he founded the organization with the express purpose to expose uh, youth in Chicago to elections and uh, electoral politics. Um, there's a story that said that he went to volunteer for his local um, committeeman and was turned away because he didn't have any contacts and couldn't bring any resources to the office. The mm-hmm. legend goes that he was told, we don't want nobody that nobody sent. Mm-hmm. And so he took that to then create a life out of obviously civics and civic engagement, becoming a public um, servant, and then wanted to make sure that mothers and youth and high school students and college students could volunteer for his campaigns and then started the MICFA Challenge so that that could be extended to students within Chicago Public Schools. So what type of services or programs does MICFA offer? Sure, so most people that know MICFA Challenge um, know us mainly as an organization that brings youth to elections, um, gets students to vote, and has students volunteering for various different um, campaigns. We are a nonpartisan organization, so we do have students volunteer for both Republican and Democratic campaigns. Our whole purpose is to try to demystify the process that happens uh, and exposing them to what it's like to door knock and phone bank and things of that nature. What most people don't know about us, though, is that we actually have a very intensive youth leadership development process at MICFA that we take th- students through. And so um, what is amazing to me and revolutionary and radical about MICFA Challenge is that we truly honor what we call youth voice. Uh, We're a very student-centered, student-driven organization, and so um, many of the issues that MICFA Challenge tackles are issues that our youth identify. In fact, MICFA Challenge will not uh, identify an issue unless it's brought up by the youth. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... We um, take students through this leadership development to really train them on how to become problem solvers and how to really be critical lovers of their communities and of their cities and how can they see themselves as change agents. 
What was your journey to mikvah? So I, um, prior to mikvah, I've been here for 14 months now. Um, I was at... I went fast. Yeah, I went very fast. (laughs) (laughs) Went blink of an eye. Yeah. I was uh, at the Alternative Schools Network, uh, was there for 13 years, and just kind of hit uh, a point in my career where I wasn't feeling challenged enough. I actually did not have the language for it. Um, Two years ago, I went through Leadership Greater Chicago Mm -hmm. and did not understand why I was just frustrated, frustrated coming to work. Um, And someone in my cohort mentioned that they had plateaued at their job. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, this is what I'm going through. I'm plateauing right now. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And I just didn't feel challenged. And so I tried various different uh, ways and asked for different, um, to see if I could try different things in my position um, that didn't necessarily happen. And so I felt like I needed to make a move to try something different. I had always wanted to be an executive director. I had always wanted to lead an organization, so I sort of felt like it was the right time to try to do that. Yeah. And what inspires you about youth work? I mean, ASN, mm-hmm. but kind of the same, similar yeah. spaces, yeah. right? What, what connects you to that work? Um, I believe that youth, and particularly youth of color in this city and in this country are marginalized. Um, Often their viewpoints, um, their experience, their wisdom are not taken seriously. Uh, I think we're still very much, unfortunately, a country and a society, and unfortunately even when you get into communities of color where children should be seen and not heard. And so I, through my work at Alternative Schools Network, just saw this amazing talent, beauty, creativity that youth brought to everything they touched. Often though that, you know, youth have a certain way of doing things or a certain way of talking about things that will rub adults the wrong way and then nobody wants to uncover any of that beauty. Mm. Uh, And so then we create barriers for them intentionally or unintentionally that keeps them quote unquote in their place Mm -hmm. and then they just don't ever have the potential to flourish. And Mm so at ASN, through alternative schools, I was able to, uh, you know, I was privileged to partner with these schools and see all the amazing work they were doing to empower youth, and that's what McFitch Challenge does as well. So I just love when the conditions are right and when the right spaces are created for youth, the absolute intense and ridiculous potential you see out of them. Yeah, yeah. for sure. What would you say drives McFitch's success? I think what drives our success is our uniqueness and the importance we place in being Mm -hmm. student-driven. I have not seen an organization yet, in my experience, that is as devoted to being student-driven as MICFA Challenge is. And so we truly create a space here where youth feel empowered, where they're treated as peers, um, where they feel safe and they feel trusted by the adults that are here on staff. And then we advocate for that out in Chicago. We make sure that we are pushing other institutions, other nonprofits, corporations, government, to really rethink of how they engage youth. And I think that's one of the most, um, that's one of the special things that we do here. Um, what kind of challenges are youth surfacing as related to Chicago? Mm-hmm. You know, I have a very lofty vision that if youth were empowered in Chicago, I'm not quite sure we would see as many of the issues that we see. Mm. Um, In my experience at Alternative Schools Network, often the youth that we worked with were youth that had engaged in violence and had engaged in risky behaviors, right? These were the behaviors they were engaging in to simply survive, um, some pretty um, astronomical barriers in their life. 
Um, and often what, when, when you broke it down and spoke to them and really got to the core of it, many just simply do not feel respected at all. They don't feel respected in their communities. They may come from families where they don't feel respected. They don't feel respected in schools by um, authority figures in schools, teachers. They don't feel respected on their block by other peers. And so many of them are resorting to certain behaviors to get that respect and to mm -hmm. get that power. I think that we, uh, many of us as adults, do a disservice to our youth in the way that we treat them and the way that we speak to them and the way that we engage with them. We often don't, we underestimate sort of our authority and our power as adults, um, or we don't. Maybe we do it purposely. Um, and we really don't understand um, what we're doing sometimes and the lifelong impact that we're creating with youth. Um, youth often get blame, blamed as being apathetic. They often get blamed as not caring. They often get blamed as being selfish. And in my years at Alternative Schools Network and in my year here at MICFA, I have not seen that from the youth that we engage with. And I think it's because, again, they're in a space where they're respected, they're empowered, um, they're told that we trust you, we believe in you, you tell us what's wrong, you help us to fix it instead of us fixing it for them. Mm -hmm. And I think if we can kind of change that in the city and stop doing things for youth but engaging them, I think we'd see a different outcome here. How, could, how would you say Chicago could get better at that? Uh, it, it's not easy. It's a shift in power dynamics, mm -hmm. right? It is an adult giving up um, the power in a space and allowing for the youth to share that power with you or even to have, for them to have the power sometimes. That's a mm -hmm. scary notion. Mm -hmm. When you become an adult, what part of right, your right of passage as an adult is that you have, you're the authority figure, you're the expert, right? Mm -hmm. um, I. That's very much how I used to run my household as a parent. You know, yeah. you don't tell me what to do, I'm the mom, right? Yeah. Uh, and Mikva has kind of challenged a lot of that for me in terms mm. of how, even at home, how my power dynamic as a mother can impact the way my sons engage later in life in the outside world. And so one of the ways that we're trying to do that through Mikva is to lead a lot of trainings of institutions. Mm. My job as executive director, um, in addition to running Mikva, is to really be the advocate for that and to go out into spaces and push um, other leaders and other institutions to really rethink how they work with youth. And then often what we try to do is we try to help support anyone that's interested in doing trainings and technical support and things like that. because it's a scary process and paradigm shift to go through. Mm -hmm. So we, we acknowledge that. Are there spaces where the city or Chicago is getting this right? I don't know if anyone's getting it 100% right. I will say that we have been working really, um, we have had some really tight partnerships with some major city institutions that are um, using MICFA Challenge to help them create some systemic changes. So mm -hmm. we've worked in partnership with CPS for quite some time to build what are called student voice councils so that each school has not a student government necessarily, but a, uh, a council of students that are working on school climate and school culture issues and working in partnership with the principal. Uh, we work closely with the mayor. The mayor has a youth council that informs him on policies that impact youth. Actually, our youth council right now, our mayor's youth council right now, will be working on youth police relations, uh, creating a curriculum of cultural competency training for the police through the lens of youth, 
um, engaging and and train and even developing training for the police as well. And uh, Cook County President Preckwinkle has a council that informs her on all of youth, 50% of them are court-involved youth, so are informing her on the impact on the policies that impact court-involved youth or detained youth. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that Mikva has challenged you to think about your own personal leadership style. Yeah. How has uh, how has that evolved for you? Um, I had a pretty phenomenal mentor my first job out. His name is Marvin Garcia. He was the principal of Albusu Campos Alternative High School in Humble Park. And that was my first job out of college, and Marvin did a phenomenal job of not only being principal but of the way he engaged with staff. It really I joke with people that for my first job that was a, a uniquely utopic experience for me because it was, I loved going to work every day. Even though the students were hard um, and it was a, a job that tested you, he created such an environment of support um, and where you really felt like you were part of a family that that kept you going. Mm -hmm. And so I've been trying to replicate that ever since. <laughs> and it's not easy. Yeah. Marvin definitely is really good at it. Um, and so I think for me, my leadership journey has been about how do I um, lead an organization but sort of have more of a distributive leadership style where I'm not the one doing everything, I'm not, I don't always have to be the one who's in the center of attention or the spotlight. How do I build capacity with my staff uh, and with my leadership staff so that more people can take on more pieces of the pie? Um, and how do I really work with my leadership staff and my staff overall to push the organization to the next level? That does have to be hard, right? When mm -hmm. folks want to come to you, like they want to talk to Michelle, the executive yep. director. <laughs> I mean, case in point, you know, we're sitting together right yep. now. Um, is there anything you wish you knew before you got started? Hmm. There's a lot I wish I knew. So my first year at Mikva was amazing and terrifying and lonely and a lot of nights where I cried myself to sleep. Mm -hmm. um, I still... And slightly terrified. <laughs> um, I was not prepared for how uncomfortable I would feel in this position um, and how the state of uncomfortableness never quite goes away. And when I've spoken to other EDs, they're like, yeah, that's good actually, because that mm -hmm. means you're not getting, you're not comfortable, and so you're always learning and you're being challenged. I wasn't prepared for that. Mm -hmm. uh, I also was not prepared for. The emotional roller coaster of what it is to run a nonprofit. You yeah. have days that are amazing where the work is right in front of you and you can see your impact, and there are days where you can't fundraise, and there are days where you're having issues with staff that just create that pit in your stomach feeling. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, I was not prepared for that. I was yeah. not prepared sort of for the up and down feeling. Um, so I wish uh, someone would have told me that. It would have saved me a lot of grief, a lot mm. of stomach aches my first year. Yeah. <laughs> but, and, and fundraising, fundraising's mm. hard. Yeah. There's no science to it. So, mm. you know, you're, you're just kind of feeling your way through it and trying to figure it out all while knowing you've got a staff of 33 that depend on you for their livelihood and if yeah. you can't fundraise. You know, it's people's paychecks that are impacted. So yeah. that's hard. Yeah. How are you adjusting? <laughs> <laughs> or are there things yeah. that you're doing differently now? <laughs> a lot of professional development. Yeah. A lot of reaching out to people that I know that have either gone through it, who I consider are successful executive directors, um, 
to just kind of pick their brains on how they've done something or just sometimes it's just nice to hear from them like look this is just the way it is mm -hmm. you're not crazy you're not a bad ed this is just the way it is you know yeah. you'll have years like this you'll have years that are better you know or they'll ask me are you doing this are you doing that so um that's i've been doing more and more in that and i think last year i got to this mode of i hunkered down mm -hmm. and try to just plow through my first year and survive um which ne wasn't necessarily the right thing to do so now that i'm coming up for air i'm asking more for help asking for advice and reaching out to people mm -hmm. yeah you know, I'm reflecting a little bit on the, the different conversations I've had on the podcast. Mm -hmm. I, I might put you on the spot a little sure. bit. Um, <laughs> just because I, I'm really interested in your perspective as you're talking about kind of that feeling, right, mm -hmm. of uncertainty and how it impacts you. Um, I guess generally I've seen the men that I've interviewed say yeah. they embrace the uncertainty. And a couple of the women have been like, yeah, I wish I knew more about the uncertainty. Mm -hmm. um, not That's that you're gonna necessarily so I'm not gonna the speak. first one to say it. Yeah. Huh, okay. So so I wouldn't never ask you to speak on behalf of all women. Yeah. But you know, um, you're at a leadership organization, yeah. and you're obviously preparing young men and women to embrace leadership in different ways. I wonder if that says anything to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. In yeah. fact, here we've actually are under we're in discussions at Mikva to develop some portion of our trainings that focuses on leadership by gender. Because mm -hmm. uh, I think it's very different for a man to lead and it's very different when women lead. And also just to be a male leader, female leader, a Latino male leader, a Latino female, a black male leader. I mean, you, yeah. you have not only everything you need to learn about leadership, but then you have all of the intersectionalities and the issues you bring in with it, right? Whether you're a male, female, of color, um, different sexual orientation, all of that. And I think that as a Puerto Rican woman who is in my first leadership position, women are taught to doubt. Mm. That's what we're conditioned to do. I mean, I think when we're growing up, and if you're a woman of color, it's even more ingrained into you, in you not to necessarily trust yourself, right? Because our skills are always called into question. We're always having to prove maybe more than our male counterparts, or you always live in this world of self-doubt, If am I doing the right thing, am I not doing the right thing, do I trust my gut, do I not trust my gut? Um, and I don't, I don't hear that from my male counterparts, they're mm -hmm. sort of like ram forward. Um, I don't, I'm a very pragmatic leader, I need mm -hmm. to take my time, I need to do my research, I need to have sort of the information in front of me, or as much of it as I can, I need to spend a couple of days marinating on it, um, if I can, not all situations allow for that. Um, and I think a year into this job, I've realized that that's okay. Mm -hmm. That I don't have to be someone that can make a decision on the dime. I don't yeah. have to be someone that is a risk taker all the time. I don't have to be someone that um, can create a program right on the spot. That mm -hmm. it's okay that I take my time, that I might be a little slower than someone else. Mm -hmm. um, but 12 months in, or 12 months ago, I would tell you, that I doubted that the way that I led and the way I made decisions, I doubted if that was right for an ED position. Mm -hmm. I had thought you had to be a certain way, and a lot of that are from the men I know. Like right. I just mentioned who my mentor, my mentor's a guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, he was, he's been my mentor since I was 21. Um, so, you know, you don't have, you, 
I'm going to say you don't. You grow up not seeing many women that look like you in leadership positions. But I will say that there, especially in Chicago, there is such a nice cohort of Latinas in leadership positions that I have the privilege to reach out to that I know personally, mm -hmm. and that has helped tremendously. Yeah. What advice might you offer young professionals uh, that are on their way up and thinking about mm -hmm. an executive role? Um, I think as much training as you can get in different aspects of, of, of leadership. I think that you don't necessarily have to know anything and you need to be comfortable enough to surround yourself with the people that do know things, but you mm -hmm. need to know enough of different aspects to be able to inform those and make decisions on them. Um, I think that what has been life-saving for me, and I use those words very intentionally, is to build a circle of support. Um, I think often we move through the professional world without necessarily having a circle of support or not thinking we need it. And the higher and higher you move into leadership, the more and more you need that. Mm -hmm. Because it just is lonely. It's a lonely position. Mm -hmm. You're the one making the decisions. You're the one functioning. Um, you know, in a certain space, and you're the one that is accountable for everything yeah. and has to have the wider viewpoint. Um, and those moments can be really lonely when you have to decide if you have to terminate someone, if you have to decide you have to consolidate the organization. It's you at the end of the day that is going to have to make those hard calls. Um, it's also when you're the only woman of color, only woman or only person of color in a room full of leaders, mm -hmm. you know, and all of those things that can pop up. Yeah. Um, it's nice to have a group of women of color that I can call mm -hmm. um, to commiserate, to vent to, to ask for help, to ask for support. And that's really, I think, what helped me sort of survive my first year. Yeah. I actually just attended an event where um, there were a lot of young professionals in the room that came up, and they framed it like as personal board of directors, mm -hmm. right, but this kind of inner circle of folks yep. that you kind of know will be there, right, yeah. and I think is really important to identify. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I would say yes, and I would say too, I mean, I've been blessed that there are other women, uh, Latinas, who are in uh, positions of leadership that have been nothing but supportive, mm -hmm. that throw resources my way, that are always referring me to people or, or sending people to me. Um, Without them, I would not, I don't think I'd be as successful either. So, yeah. Awesome. Is there any literature that you've embraced as you've stepped into the role? And, <laughs> and then I'll also just say, is there stuff that you just turn to regularly that yeah. informs the way you think about youth work and or the world? Yeah, so I am currently reading uh, right now about how to do change management, mm -hmm. how to do it well without your entire staff freaking out and running for the hills. So, <laughs> um, uh, so I'm reading a couple of books on change management um, and how to do that. And on, one of them is on how to do it, and then there's another one on the psychology of change management mm -hmm. and how you can help talk your staff through change management and if you face resistance, why you're facing resistance, so that you don't always think that that person's just being non-compliant. You know, they're resisting from a place of fear, so how do you help mm -hmm. them get through the fear? Um, and I think what I always, I always sort of fall back on books that are very political in nature uh, and that does really speak to sort of the um, disenfranchisement of people of color. So right now, I'm totally going to slaughter his first name. Tanisi Coates. Oh, Tanisi. Tanisi. Tanisi I'm reading the Letters to My Son book right okay. now. Um, and just, you know, first of all, he writes so beautifully, and the language, he, the way he puts language together is phenomenal. But it, 
it just reinforces, I think, when you get into leadership positions, even though you're a person of color, you're still in a position of privilege. Mm -hmm. And so I like to read books that uh, are about um, struggles that people are having, how s systemic, you know, there are institutional systemic issues that are mm -hmm. created to also disenfranchise people of color. Um, so I, those are the kind of the books that I turn to to help inform me, particularly when I'm thinking about the youth that we work mm -hmm. with. We're constantly in conversation on Twitter about comic books. I is know. That, is that something that you're <laughs> embracing as well? Or Not that's for more my from son. <laughs> that's for my son. That's the only way I could get my son to read. And yeah. so he's a huge, avid comic book fan now. Yeah. It's the only way I can get him to embrace reading because yeah. he was not a reader. So now he loves it. He loves reading. You referred me to Miles Morales, the yeah. Spider-Man, and yeah. that was a huge turning point for him. Yeah. Um, so I've been excited to watch him embrace, you know, comic books, and particularly comics, comic books with a particular political leaning. Yeah. He has uh, more of a, uh, a penchant for, which has been nice. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Um, you know, I know you, we talked about a lot of your work centering on youth vision yeah. for... Uh, an organization or a particular mm -hmm. issue. Um, I'm wondering if the youth are articulating a certain vision for MICVA, uh, mm -hmm. and then how does that shape your vision as the executive of this organization? Yeah, so the uh, often what the youth will inform us here of MICVA is, is that they want to be more part of the process when we're designing programming here, so we're trying to figure out how to have sort of a youth advisory board that in, informs our programming here. Um, because everything else that we do, whether it's issues that the youth raise and things like that, we will throw resources and support behind whatever it is that they want to work on. I think for myself, my vision for MICFA is that historically, I mentioned at the beginning of the interview, MICFA has been seen as an organization that often you'll tell people, or your MICFA challenge, they'll be like, oh yeah, you're that organization that gets kids to work campaigns. Mm. We're a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. And so what I want to do is paint a mo much more robust picture of how the types of conditions that we create, the way that we engage youth, the social, emotional, and soft skills that we're impacting, uh, how if you involve youth in decision making and in the issues that impact them, how that then creates a civically engaged person for the rest of their life. I think often the ingredients are missing and people just think you're civically engaged because you vote, mm -hmm. um, but no one thinks about the doing, the implementing, the designing, the decision-making process and how actually all of that can also inform a civically engaged person. So my vision for MICFA is really to see and to be able to market MICFA as an organization that works with youth, yes, but that works with youth to build soft skills and social-emotional skills that marry with civic skills mm -hmm. and that the marriage of those two things then creates a lifelong civically engaged person. How could folks help you and MICFA achieve that? Well that's, to talk about MICFA in that way is the biggest help. I think mm -hmm. getting involved with MICFA, we get a, a ton of our volunteers or people who are engaged in MICFA because they're lovers of elections or campaigns um, and I, that's wonderful and I don't I don't want to lose any of those volunteers, but I also want to engage people that care about black and brown youth in Chicago. Ninety-seven percent of the students we serve are of African-American Latino descent here in Chicago. And so I want people who care about youth, if you care about also changing the way you think about working about youth, with mm -hmm. youth or your mindset around youth, I encourage you to visit our website, to come to MICFA Challenge, come to one of our events so that you can see sort of how youth 
truly are uh, once you strip away all the barriers that we place in front of them. That's great. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for the time, Michelle. This no, was, thank uh, you. Good to see you and appreciate that you're doing what you're doing. I appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time to interview me. Awesome. That was Michelle Morales, Executive Director of the Mikva Challenge. As always, I appreciate you tuning in. And if you're finding value from our conversations, I hope you'll leave a five-star review on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice. Also, check out our sponsor, YouBackForGood.com. That's letter U-B-A-C-K-F-O-R-G-O-O-D.com for more information on the November 29th Giving Tuesday event here in Chicago. Next week's episode features Maricela Garcia from Gad's Hill Center. Until then, peace.